0: welcome to karura's weekly podcast our hope is that your spiritual life will be fruitful as you listen in we start in three two one how do we partner with god in love in these days and today i'll be looking at one of the subjects that has come up and this is questions that we've just been receiving from members and we have a lot of them but what happened is i've just picked some And these were mainly from the last plug-in retreat, but there are many others which we shall be addressing, especially Reverend Martin shall be addressing some of them, uh, quite a number of them that were were brought up uh, previously and uh, during the last retreat. And the questions I picked were the frequently asked questions on giving. I picked out certain questions and I'm going to address those questions. There are several of them, uh, as you can see them on the screen. I just read through them. I will not uh, uh, go through every one of them but just read through them. Uh, they, they, they are uh, about uh, <clears throat> 12 or so, about 10 questions actually. So you'll see all of them on that screen. So I'll address the first, uh, the first question. And the first question is, explain to us the meaning of the fast fruit. The fast fruit. And you're going to see it on the screen because I'm just going to project uh, what the meaning of the fast fruit is and I'm sure you're going to read and just catch up with that basically, it's the giving of a person's uh, first substance. And Kenyans, I think, can really uh, associate with this because many of our people are farmers, be it subsistence farmers or large scale farmers. And this is basically the first fruit. Now you realize the sacrifice in giving the first fruit is huge. So for example, maize, the green maize is about to uh, start coming to the market. But before it comes, you realize there has been no green maize for a long time because the season was such that maize could not be planted. And when it comes out, when the first maize comes out, the the, the temptation is to eat it yourself, just to take it for yourself. But the Israelites were told, you bring the first fruit. That means the first fruits that came out, they were to take it to God, to dedicate that to God. And so it was quite a sacrifice. And so the rationale was to show that everything belongs to God and the central point of the sanctification of the whole. In essence, when you bring the first fruit, you are saying, God, you, I'm surrendering it to you, but I'm also acknowledging that everything else that will come as a result of this fruit is because of you. It was an acknowledgement that yes, I plant, but it is God who makes growth to be. This this first fruit was not, of course, just on crops, but it was also on animals and also on human beings. The firstborn had to be dedicated to God. You may, you may recall Jesus going being taken to the temple to be dedicated. Psalm chapter chapter three, verse nine to ten says, "Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will will, will brim over with new wine." The Hebrew word. For this uh, is uh, is actually you'll see it on the screen, and it literally means the promise to come. But the Greeks, of which now the New Testament is written, it is usually uh, it's it's, a, it's an entrance fee, so to speak. That that is the the it is the entrance place, and the spiritual meaning of the first fruits points to Jesus Christ as the firstborn, and because he is the firstborn. And he said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come for you. We become partakers of Jesus Christ as our firstborn. Because the, you may recall in, in Israel, uh, when the Israelites were in Egypt, it was the firstborn of those who refused to, to, to obey God that were killed. And it was the firstborn of those who um, uh, accepted to obey God that lived. And because our firstborn is Jesus Christ, we then partake of all that he is. Because then the firstborn represented the whole family. It represented everybody else. The firstborn animal represented all the other animals. The firstborn uh, fruit represents all the other animals. Paul writing to the Romans says, if the part of the door offered as the first fruit is holy, then the whole branch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. And you may recall John chapter 15. We are part of Jesus Christ and he is holy. He is the root. He sustains us. And so that is what the fast fruit is all about. I also realized that there were quite a number of new members here in in Karura, especially after the COVID, there's been quite a number of new members who've joined us. And one of the questions was, what is the practice of Karura Community Chapel in regard to the fast fruits? Well, we receive a lot of fast fruits from a lot of the members here. Some of it is in kind and others is in cash. Some beans, fruits, and all sorts of uh, gifts that we receive. And we have several ministries that we have. For example, we have uh, uh, the prisons ministry. And I've given you on that screen just some of the the areas that we we work in the prisons ministry. We have Langata and all the other ministries. Basically reaching out to about about 15,000 people. That is over the last two months. And about 85 of those people have given their lives to the Lord. And the members of this church are actually the ones who go to those prisons to minister. What we are also doing is we are asking some of our campuses, some of our church plants to take over some of these prisons. And Kiamburo has just picked out so well in reaching out to some of these um, uh, ministries, to these prisons. And they reach out to them with some of the gifts that you give. And they are able to uh, either purchase or some of the things you've given. They are able to go there and cook with these prisoners, minister to them, teach them particular uh, discipleship. uh, they, They take various discipleship programs. In fact, during COVID, when the prisons were closed to us, the people we had trained in the prisons continued with the work because the prisoners themselves, they continued with the work because they had been trained on how to disciple others. We are able sometimes after, after they are finished their prison sentences, we usually I help them, we integrate them into the society. So some of our members go into the community, they help the community to accept those who are coming from prisons, but also the in-betweens can also be very difficult and so they are able to be hold. We, we are able to help them through the gifts that you give, either clothing or whatever it is, even some foodstuffs because some of them have to sometimes go to a halfway house. We also have the Dockers Ministry and uh, 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 last Saturday uh They were able to visit about 17 families because the reason they visit these families is because they really want to know where are the real needs so that they just don't develop dependency or just give in that sense. But they want to be able to visit the families and Pastor Betty here and others will tell you when you visit some of these homes, you'll be amazed. There are so many grandmothers who are looking after their, their, their grandchildren. The parents are not there for one reason or another. Some of them are extremely poor. Some of them are sick. And so that way then, when you give of your first fruits, whenever you give of your substance, our teams are able to go and share the love of Christ uh, with these particular uh, people who are in real need. And this happens on Thursdays on a biweekly basis. So in case you have a bit of time and you are available, please join our teams so that you can be able to minister to these people in need. Of course, we appreciate our neighbors. Like uh, uh, Claire said, uh, Two Rivers just being there for us, the Runda Association, And uh, last week, uh, we had uh, Rivera, Rosalind Rivera. They not only asked their customers to donate certain items, but they also gave cash donations towards this Dockers Ministry. Let's appreciate Rosalind Rivera. (laughs) Wherever they are, if any of you are here from Rosalind Rivera, we say thank you very much. But we also have the Kaiser. These are the Youth Sports Association. This is the use of sports. Of course, we have our own youth uh, team over there, but we also use the. We also have this uh, Karura Youth uh, Sports Association that just ministers through its programs to various people. uh, Because a lot of the young people, this becomes a very good channel to reach to them. We talk about health education. uh, We do. We plant trees and all sorts of things. And so, whatever gifts that you give to us, we are very, very grateful. Um, I think last week. Uh, we received about eight footballs and two whistles, which are very useful to these young people, and all the equipment that you can give us. We have people like uh, Gibby and others who just give a lot of leadership, and we're just so grateful for you as members who assist in reaching out to this. So your first fruits are used in this way, for those of you who may be new. The other question is when you are unemployed, have no income, is it wrong to tithe in bulk, maybe once a year, based on the money you feel you have gotten. I think times, of course, are very difficult, and one understands. And uh, the, the realities of the times are here with us. In First Corinthians chapter 16, from verse 1 to 2, Paul says, now about the collection of the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. Saving it up so that when I come, no collections will be made. You see, there's one, there's a difference between employment and work. One always needs to differentiate that. There are sometimes people feel I will not be able to give to God because I am not employed. But one needs to differentiate from a biblical aspect the difference between work and employment. You may be unemployed, but you're able to work. And somehow, sometimes God blesses you, God gives you air to breathe, God gives you food, God is supplying for you. And so you need to be aware of that. And what Paul is basically telling these people from that particular verse is that giving, you need to be careful about especially the regularity and the preparation and the proportion. So God never asks us to give what we do not have. But also you need to check about your preparation and your regularity. And that is why uh, he doesn't just say either give everything or give beyond what you have. And so the, the, the proportion you may give may seem bad to others or may seem good to others. But in this manner of giving in proportions, actually no one is left out. The principle here is the sacrifice. Setting whatever God gives you aside. And he tells them set it aside on the first day of the week. Because if you wait to do things until the end of the year, there's no guarantee that you'll be able to do it. And if you wait to do things until the end of the year, you may never be sure that you will receive that which you think. So whatever little that God is able to give you, keep short accounts. And that is why Paul is able to tell them in that verse uh, about on the very first day of every week, set aside some in keeping with your income, whatever that income may be, whether it's from employment or just from work. The other question is actually two of them that I've combined. Where should one tithe upon getting a transfer? Maybe former church or new church. Then the second one, is it okay to give tithe to your home church? This home church means mainly the rural church for those of you who have rural homes. Uh, the response to that is the, the place of giving is first and foremost the local church where one is spiritually fed, held accountable by other members and also holds those members to account. Because it's not just about giving, but it's also about being able to hold one to account for the administration of the giving. There are some, like in our own constitution, we allow members who are outside of this county to be members here and also to be members of uh, uh, their rural home. So, if you're engaged in your rural home and you're doing ministry there and you're keeping the, 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 you're accountable and you know what they are doing, by all means, we encourage you to be able to support uh, where you are and where you minister and where you can hold people accountable and where you're held accountable. You can look at those verses that I've given to you there. The next question reads, if a friend sends you money, or you receive money from someone, should you tithe on it, or is it just after salary, or is it just after salary that you tithe? Well, the concept of living, limiting uh, tithe to salary is a little foreign to the, especially to the Old Testament, because there were no salaries as such. It was more what God has given you, and God can give you in various ways. Some of the questions that you may want to ask is: Is the giving that you've been given, be it by a friend or whatever you've been given, is it designated? Or is it just general? So, for example, as a church, when you give us a gift and you designate it, so, for example, you say, this is for Tumaini, We do not tithe on that particular gift because it is designated. And there are many others There are many other designated gifts because some of you give and say, this is specifically for this. And so if you're given a gift, for example, for school fees, for something like that, if you tithe it, then it means the child will not be able to go to school because then you are using what you've been given in a designated way. But if it is a general giving, what we do is we tithe on it. And I think the principle of people like Jacob, where when he was leaving his father's home, and, 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 and this, there was this ladder and the angels were coming up from heaven and on earth and, 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 and Jacob saw heaven open and he, he was running away and he said he put up a stone and he said, and this stone that I've set up on a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. He was acknowledging that God was going to provide for him, even though then he didn't have, but he was acknowledging that God was going to provide for him and God provides for us in various and in many ways. And so it is not limited to salary or even to employment. The other question is, if your income is far below your needs, am I disobeying God's command on tithing? Like I mentioned a bit earlier, of course, and uh, our chairman prayed about it. The world today is experiencing some very tough economic times of our generation with economic instability caused by job losses, rising prices of basic commodities, caused by global economic and political and social instability. But you see, the reason that Paul writes to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse verse 1 says, and now, brothers and sisters, he says, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. He's writing to the Corinthians. In the midst of a very severe trial, Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So Paul's desire is that the Corinthians may excel in the grace of giving. And he gives them the example of the Macedonians. He says the Macedonians, they were, they were facing poverty and they were facing severe trials, whatever that was. But they first gave themselves to the Lord. And then, after giving themselves to the Lord, they gave in response to the grace of God. Because any consideration of giving must be based on the grace of God. Otherwise, any other consideration, you will burn out. Because you will give up and I, I, I've, been, I've been in I've been in many situations and around places where people just, they are wishing this project ends so that we stop giving. But you realize it never ends because when it ends, God will give you another one. I can't assure you that. So if you give because there are needs around because so you're straining yourself and it's not out of grace, what will happen is you'll burn out and you'll get very tired and you'll even leave church for that matter. But when this macedonians out of their severe trials and extreme poverty they recognize that the god is the giver of all things and as james chapter 1 verse 17 says he gives us all the perfect gifts that he gives us one blessing after another because the more we are aware of god's grace like the macedonians were in our lives and circumstances the more we respond with thankfulness which as which is uh which is now you see this macedonians they they gave and there was overflowing joy even as they gave out of their poverty, out of their severe trials. Notice their generosity is unhindered by these things, by severe trials and extreme poverty. Generosity is actually not a function of what you have and don't have. You can have so much, but you're not generous. And you can have so little and not be generous. And you can have much and you be generous. And you can have little and be generous. But what is interesting about what Paul says is there was this burst of joy out of the church of Macedonia. This generosity, and he says, because of the grace that because of the grace, the generosity of God granted to these people, so that the people of God may, may, may manifest the grace of God in their generosity, so that their generosity may not only be an end itself, but it may result in thanksgiving and praise to God. You see that cycle. It starts with God and it finishes with with God. Just like I told you about three weeks ago, two weeks ago, two Sundays ago. I told you about Abraham. God tells Abraham, and it's always God who initiates. He tells Abraham, I want to bless you. And then Abraham is like, oh, that will be good. But he tells him, no, it's not about you. You'll be a channel for blessing for all the nations. And then third, he tells him, leave where you are. In other words, leave your comfort zones. It is, I was talking about outreach. Outreach and giving is the same thing. For you to be able to give, you cannot do that just in your comfort zone. You must be able to get out of your comfort zone. You must be able to give beyond your comforting zone. The results are interesting. It is this joy that is flowing and God's name is glorified. And so all of us are here because of Abraham, who not only obeyed God, of course, he struggled, as we all know. But he eventually became a channel of blessing to the nations. And he made himself uncomfortable. Gave beyond by leaving his comfort zone. And because of that, we here are able to glorify God. So it begins with God and it ends with the glorification of God. And I can tell you it has very little to do with how much you have and how much you you don't have. So it is all about God. The God who made everything is the God who gives everything is the God who requires everything is the God who owns all things and ultimately the God who gets the praise for everything. And so the question you and I must always be asking ourselves, am I giving myself first to the Lord? Because eventually we shall stand before this God without anything that represents security to us in this earth. All our banks and our assets, there'll be nothing. And I think Job realized this when he said, naked I came and naked I leave. All that we have on that day, it will not be there. Apart from the treasure we shall have laid in heaven while we are here. And we must ask ourselves, is my giving a response to God's grace? Is that why I give? Is that what determines the extent of my giving? Do I appreciate the grace of God in my life? Do I appreciate that he sustains me? He wakes me up every morning and provides for me everything I drink and everything that I eat. And then, of course, am I giving beyond my comfort zone? Am I just giving change or because this one is convenient to give and it will not affect my life at all or just within the orbit of my security and there is no faith in God that God will provide. It does not cost me anything. David would not hear any of that when he was offered a piece of land to buy. He said, I will not offer to the Lord what costs me nothing. And then fourth, I must ask ourselves, am I giving without external compulsion? Am I being prompted and I'm too twisted to give, or is it something that I'm giving as a response just to God's grace? The other one we must ask is, am I clamoring for the privilege of serving the saints? Looking for the opportunities to bless and serve, because that is what Abraham began to do. The other question I have is, if I have a loan, how do I calculate that in tithing? I can hear mamas. I, th- I think it's a common thing. My, 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 my questions whenever people ask me this is, how is your personal financial skills and capacity? Because loans can be good, but also loans can be dangerous. And before you take a loan, I believe you want to understand about your financial skills. You want to understand your financial capacity because there are people who take loans and they use those loans wonderfully well. And then there are others who take loans and they completely enslave them. And they mess their lives completely. But then the other one is my personal character. Uh, If I'm the type who just gets loans because they have been advertised, you you know that? What do you call this? Uh, There's a lot of loans around now. So a lot of people are in debt because they they have a problem with their character. You know? Um, And then one also needs to understand the unexpected external internal circumstances. For example, like COVID, you, you may have borrowed some money and then these things come and they sweep away your issues. These are not things that uh, you can control and I'm sure God understands those, those kind of things. But then one also needs to understand one's spiritual maturity. How, how mature are you in regard to the things of God, to knowing God? Because you see, we live in a consumer culture. And the message around us is always spend, spend, spend. And the mentality becomes, I want it, and I want it now. And so the the consumer mentality means that our standard of living always goes up whenever we get an increase in either our profit in business or in our salaries. And it means that we are living in houses sometimes that we can't afford because of that consumer uh, mentality. And sometimes it's just gadgets, phones. cars, shoes, whatever it is. And, and you know you can barely make it, but you go and take money which you can't afford to buy things probably that uh, you know are too expensive. And, and the worst part about Christians is they, they tend to spiritualize this consumerism. They say, I'm just taking this thing by faith. And you know it's a foolish decision. The other thing I usually when I'm doing, when we are, my wife and I and we're doing premarital counseling we are usually very careful to inform young people and, and, and elder job and others. I know there's the premarital counseling retreat, so they may not be here. But one of the things we are trying to do is now to start talking to people who are far from marrying, people who are not even, who don't even have any engagement or relationship. Because uh, sometimes when you talk to people who are already in a relationship, they're already engaged. Even if you tell them these things, they never hear. They just You they speak, it passes. So we are trying more and more to talk to people who are not in any relationship because you can can marry into financial trouble. If you marry someone who does not know how to handle finances or somebody who is very careless, and there's very little you can do about it because you're already in that marriage. So you go home, you find money has been borrowed, your house is being auctioned, and you're wondering where did this one come from? The other thing to watch is addictions. And addictions here is many things, enslavement. People who are addicted hardly know how to handle money. So if you're, when you're relating, always check what, what are the things this person is addicted to. If they're addicted to things like betting, be, sh- be aware that they'll also get addicted to other things. So just be prepared. All right? Uh, if, he, if, he, if he borrows money from you and you're still dating or she borrows money from you and you're still dating, uh, those are red flags. Because dating time, you're trying to impress. Now if you're trying to impress by borrowing money, (laughs) you're in trouble. You can marry yourself in trouble. (laughs) Uh, The other question is, should I tithe on the gross or net income? Um, Melchizedek, Hebrews speaking, uh, Paul writing, uh, about not Paul, I don't know who wrote Hebrews, but chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1 to says, This Melchizedek was a king of Salem, the priest of God most high. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed them. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness, then also king of Salem, which means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, Res- resembling the son of God, he remains a priest. You know, some people say this is just a one verse in the Bible. But remember, this concept of a tenth was not... It was hundreds of years before it became a law as Moses wrote it. Abraham is living hundreds of years before this. And even Job, Jacob, when, the one we read in Genesis chapter 28, when he says, God, I'll give you a tenth of everything, it is hundreds of years before the law. So it is not a matter of the law of Moses. But it is something that God had instituted at some point that they knew. And so... Abraham gives a tenth of everything. Of course, Abraham had no temple to go and offer to and all that. So we are not told all his stories. We are told some. And I'm sure if we were told all his stories, we would have different uh, views. But the reason he gives a tenth of everything is because of who he is giving it to. He realizes whoever this Melchizedek was, he probably realized that this is the man when I went to help my cousin Lot, he's the one who probably Played a part, be it in protecting me, be it a part in just returning everything I had, or preserving the things as they had been stolen so that none of them was damaged, especially the people, none of them was killed. And so he realizes that if it was not for this person, whoever it is, I will tithe to him. And so tithing is usually a matter of who are you giving to? What can this person do? Or what has he done? You know, when you're thinking about tithing, you must always be very careful, and even general giving. There are people who get this notion that they are providing for God's needs. In Acts chapter 17, verse 25, it says, and this is talking about God, and he is not served by human hands. And if he needed anything, rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. You and I cannot serve God. We cannot provide for God's needs, which, whatever little, whatever much we have. And then the, 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 the same people, uh, uh, again, are being addressed in Psalm chapter 50 from verse 9 to 15. God is speaking to them because they have this notion that we are supporting or we are providing for God because he's in need. God says this, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine and all that is in it. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Sacrifice thanksgiving to God. Fulfill your vows to the Most High and call on me on the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you will honor me. Because it is God who is willing to help you. Not you who will help God. He says, call on me. Then I'll help you. I'll deliver you. Not the other way around. Because God will never be put in a position of a beneficiary of our generosity. He does not need our giving because he owns everything already. He aims only to be the benefactor, not the beneficiary. If anyone is a dependent in this situation, it's human beings and not God. God wants to work for you and you don't work for him. He gives you, you don't give him. And I think that is why David, when he had given to the temple and and all that in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, from verse 14 to 18, he says this, but who am I? And who are my people? And you know how much David had given. He says, but who am I? And that is the attitude you and I must have. Who am I that I can even give to this God? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord, our God, all these abundance that we have provided for building you a temple of your holy name comes from your hand. And all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the hearts and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have given willingly and with honest intent. And I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. Lord, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep these desires and the thoughts in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. Who am I and who are my people that we should even give to God? Because God has given us every gift that we are giving back to him. Even our purposes, even our thoughts, even our intentions. Because our gifts are gifts from God and our giving is a gift from God so that only God may get the glory. And so these are three approaches that people give. Some give grudgingly. They are, when they give grudgingly, usually their approach is essentially, I must give. Others give dutifully. Dutifully. Their approach is essentially, I need to give. But others give thankfully and cheerfully. And their approach is essentially, I want to give. It was Augustine who said, love God and do what you want. Because eventually people always do what they want. If your wanting is, is, is subsumed under a genuine love for God, then you will do God's will. But giving must begin with the fact that it is God who initiates giving. It is God who has given first. Romans chapter 11, verse 35 to 36, this is what Paul says. Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. There's a last question that I am not able to address today. I'm sure I'll address it at another time. Praise the name of the Lord. Worshiped him. Please join us as we sing this final song. Has this message challenged you? We hope that it has been a blessing in your life. If you would like to give your life to Christ, or talk to, or pray with someone, kindly reach us on WhatsApp 0721-990-880. God bless you.